0: This
1: is a podcast from the Poetry Society. So it won't be such a tug-of-war, perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully not, but we'll see. (laughs) We'll see, we'll see. (laughs) I'm Maurice Reardon, editor of The Poetry Review, and this morning I'm talking to Emily Berry. Emily, thank you for coming along.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: You'll be, in fact, joining us to edit uh, the summer issue of The Poetry Review. So you'll be quite regular here, I expect. We'll come back to the whole business of of editing, but I'd like to ask you first a little bit about your first collection, Dear Boy, published in 2013, and uh, did extremely well, critically, and popular with readers. Can I ask you a little bit about how long it took, uh, basically, or your kind of apprenticeship as as a poet, as a lead-up to your first collection?
0: I think it took about eight years. But it's sort of it's always a bit weird to talk about it in that sense because it wasn't like at the beginning of those eight years I said, Oh, I'm writing a poetry collection and set about it. I was just writing one poem after another and not really thinking too much. Well, I mean, I guess I was thinking about a collection some point in the future, but it was only towards the the last maybe couple of years that I was thinking about putting them all together. So In terms of my apprenticeship, (laughs) well, I started sort of writing sort of seriously in my mid-twenties, but I've always written ever since I can remember. I used to write stories and things as frequently as poems. I I think when I was at university, I decided I wasn't going to write prose anymore, and it wasn't my kind of thing. I thought I wasn't very good at it, so I started focusing on poetry. And then it sort of gradually got more into the the social side of it and went to workshops and started meeting other poets and it kind of went from there, I guess.
1: Was there a Eureka poem, a poem where you thought, well, that's what I want to do, that's the kind of poem I want to write?
0: I think there was a time when I sort of started to become aware of poems that were by people of my own age that I found exciting, that was sort of like news to me that this is something that ordinary people, people like me could do. I think I've spoken about this before, Luke Kennard, who I think was probably one of the first contemporary poets that I came across. I mean, when I say contemporary, I mean sort of like contemporary to me because he was a friend of a friend and some somebody who knew I was interested in poetry said, oh, you should read this guy's poems and they were on his MySpace. <laughs> and there were these poems on there, his murderer poems. And that was just like a revelation because... Mm. It wasn't the type of poetry I'd read before, I suppose, and it just made me think, I could do this too. And indeed, I did write quite a few Luke Kennard-style poems. (laughs) So that was, yeah, probably a kind of turning point. Mm
1: -hmm. One thing that's uh, particularly striking to me is the tone of your poems, to know to what extent you'd be conscious of it. It's a flat tone. You often use a kind of parataxic style what does parataxis mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, everything is equal grammatically, if you know what I mean. Yeah. The statements okay. are kind of equal grammatically. So your poem, I Love New York, where the, the Korean ladies give you the pedicure, is it? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, the tone sort of uh, notices and registers this just completely neutrally, I guess. It's a very powerful effect, I think, because it combines something that's sort of vaguely sinister (laughs) or certainly a little bit strange with this kind of uh, neutral tone.
0: I think I know what you mean, like other people have talked about, sort of deadpan. I don't know if it's something to do with being influenced by a kind of certain type of black humour where sort of quite dark things are said, very sort of straight-faced. I'm sort of thinking of uh, there's the filmmaker Wes Anderson, who has mm. these kind of films about sort of usually kind of dysfunctional families where things are actually really pretty sort of awful, but it's all just, it's very sort of affectless. And stuff I was reading when I was a teenager, like J.D. Salinger. So I think those things probably feed into it. And I suppose I don't want to lead the reader to... I mean, it is leading people, I suppose, but I always think things are, are more unsettling if you're not saying that it's unsettling specifically.
1: I, I agree. Yeah. The tone, if you like, puts everything on the same mor- moral plane. Uh, yeah. But obviously, that is not the case. Yeah. Like, I, and it gets very funny, doesn't it, with well, the incredible history of Patient M... It's quite outrageous, isn't it, in some of the, <laughs> You've got this character, the doctor, who who turns up a few times in a few poems, I think. A doctor who doesn't behave as a doctor should. <laughs> and that's very funny.
0: Yeah, well, I've always been interested in, I don't know what you'd call it, but like subversions of typical power relations or mm. people in positions of authority who are behaving in inappropriate ways. Because it's sort of so unsett- can be so unsettling, but I mean, I guess it can also be funny, yeah, it's something I guess I'm sort of quite scared of, like boundaries being breached, yes. so that's maybe why I've ended up. yeah, I think it, it is
1: it is that vibration of fear that makes it particularly kind of edgy, really yeah. there's quite a lot of dysfunctional relationships, I guess, but also there is a kind of recurrence of submission, isn't there, and uh, mm. yeah in those poems not in a kind of predictable way
0: (laughs) well that's good i suppose (laughs) yeah again i don't know exactly where that comes from but i have but it's the same thing of being interested in power relations and the way in which they don't necessarily behave according to expectation so i think submission is interesting kind of submission in various different contexts in that someone can be apparently submissive, but actually they're leading the show Mm. um, or the dominant party is actually sort of being forced to appear to or to play a dominant role.
1: Mm. And then again, perhaps one of your more sinister characters recurs Arlene. Yeah. So that's a little bit counter to the stereotype too, isn't it? She's a kind of older sister type.
0: Yeah, I suppose she's a kind of, she's a, caregiver in a caregiving role or like a mother role Mm. but she behaves completely in the wrong kind of way and actually sort of makes everything really terrifying and awful. She's kind of like a personification of I suppose my deepest fears or something. (laughs) Um, Yeah I don't know exactly where she emerged from but I'm very glad she's sort of slightly Mm. gone into the background to be honest. (laughs)
1: Well, actually, uh, we've talked just about Dear Boy, so these are poems uh, in your past now, really. And Mm. uh, I know you've got another collection due, is it next year? Yeah, sometime Mm. next year, not sure. Does it have a title yet?
0: Yeah, it's going to be called Stranger Baby.
1: Stranger Baby, oh, (laughs) that's great. You heard it here first, folks. (laughs) Is there a shift in material and in, in tone and interest and imaginative interest in those poems?
0: I think there is quite a big shift. I mean, it's always hard to judge for yourself, but other people have said that they've noticed it in the mm. stuff they've read. It's quite different from the first book in that it's all kind of on a theme, it's sort of looking at loss. And it was written much over a much shorter period. And. It, <laughs> Yeah, I think there's less of some of the issues we've talked about here. There's not really kind of characters in the same way that there are in Dear Boy. Mm. Um, and it's probably a lot less funny. I'm <laughs> 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 yeah. hopefully there's still some like light moments of sort of humour, but in a, it's not like laugh out loud. Mm. Not that I'm saying my other poems will laugh out loud, but as a bit more light relief maybe. So that's quite weird because I'm, yeah, I suppose I'm nervous about how that will be. Received or whatever. Yeah, well,
1: you, you s- mentioned that you've shown the poems to people. Uh, you also mentioned Luke Kennard earlier. And it makes me wonder, you know, how you see yourself in the context of uh, writing at the moment among writers of your own age, perhaps? Are you looking at poets that are older than you, younger than you? What kind of context do you, do you see at the moment?
0: It's sort of a difficult question in the sense that I find it quite hard to, or I don't necessarily know how useful it is to sort of... Um, I know that I've been positioned in relation to other poets in critical essays or whatever. Like whom? Would tend to be Jack Underwood, mm-hmm. Sam Riviere, Heather and Luke Kennard as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, he was obviously kind of publishing earlier than some of us. And... From a personal perspective, it, it's kind of, well, these are all good friends of mine. So, mm. you know, it's, it seems obvious to me that we'd be positioned alongside each other because we became friends sort of through the process of finding out that we like to judge others' work and sort of sharing work and I suppose sort of developing alongside each other or something. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I suppose there's a, that's a context in a sense, but it's also just like in any setting you would have people that you're friends with and sort of... Um
1: there's nothing concerted about it. It's just a, a loose sort of association with other yeah. writers. Yeah, yeah. So you would possibly share common tastes. Would you Would you all be kind of interested in American poetry in, uh, specifically, do you think?
0: Yeah, I think definitely that's, that's probably a big commonality. And certainly we share taste with lots of other poets or poetries, but it's not at all the case that we would all like the same yeah, stuff, obviously.
1: Yeah. Uh, one thing is that um, a lot of poets nowadays come through a system of you know, doing creative writing, MAs and so on. It means they have... Teachers, established poets, and so on. So that actually sets up a situation where you're almost obliged to react or rebel against um, a preceding generation of poets. Is that is that the case?
0: I don't really think so. Um, This is a question that has come up a few times that people say, "Who are you reacting against?" Or uh, it feels like a sort of a slightly defensive. Um, position to take (laughs) because I don't feel like that at all and I don't I don't know that many other people who do I mean of course there are poets that we are paying attention to more than other ones so it it happens by sort of inadvertently but I don't sit down to write thinking oh my god I'm not going to write a poem like x I'm going to write a poem like y it's more that you're you're focusing on what you like and and just not really bothered about what you don't Mm -hmm. like.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, actually, that's reassuring for me. It kind of (laughs) brings us back to the job of co-editing the summer issue of of the magazine. Mm. So it won't be such a tug of war, perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully not, but we'll see. (laughs) We'll see, we'll see. But just about that, I mean, I think, I'd be keen, you'd be keen that your kind of stamp would be be felt in the magazine. Uh, I wonder if you have any kind of, I don't know, initial thoughts about that, about just what you'd be looking for.
0: Yeah, it's, it's difficult to sort of spell out what I might be looking for, as I suppose I would tend to just, it's more intuitive, maybe, as and when, you know, I'm looking through things.
1: You, you've had quite a experience, quite a bit of experience as, a, as an editor, so yeah. you're accustomed to that kind of waiting to see what comes across <laughs> your your bows or across your desk, as it were.
0: Hmm? Yeah, I think that's one of the nice things about it is that you just sort of read... What's the word? Is it dispassionately the right word? And just wait for something to sort of light up, I guess. Mm. And obviously a lot of the time you're just speeding through saying no 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 (laughs) um but then when something does I don't know ring ring your bell then that's pretty cool I mean I suppose there are poems that I styles of poem that I'm more interested in than others like well I like poems that are humorous but not in a heavy-handed way and that are maybe kind of dark or edgy or a little bit outrageous And uh, poems that make me feel something, that's the main response that's important to me when I'm reading a Mm. poem, that I get a kind of, oh, sort of like... Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) You're ready to be surprised by a poem. Yeah. I I very much agree with that kind of, I'm quite passive about, uh, in the process of uh, reading stuff. We published some of your poems recently, actually, in the winter issue of of the magazine. So could I ask you to to read one of those poems and perhaps give it a little brief introduction to it before you do?
0: Okay, I'm going to read a poem called Aqua, which is going to be in my next collection. It's kind of a hard poem to think about introducing, but I suppose a bit of background is that it was written for a kind of commission for an artist's publication. Um, I was asked to write a poem on the theme of shallow water. And uh, in the end, this poem didn't end up getting used. A different poem I'd written did. But luckily it's found another life, so aqua. I filled a bowl with a little water, praised it slightly, a feeling of daughterliness came over me. I adored her, of course, water cannot hold an imprint, she kept repeating. It's no use, you can't help me. Something close to the surface, a terrible sense of violence. When waves travel into shallow water, they begin to be affected by the ocean bottom. The wave breaks is translated into another wave, singular and beautiful phenomenon. Erosion of the ocean bottom intensifies. I am able to hear these painful reminiscences. With a little more detachment, I said, unconvincingly, it should be easy to float away. I wish to be immersed and live forever on the cusp of drowning. It's no way to abide. I knelt down, drank this exalted element. Her ghost took many forms. Sometimes she came down as rain. That was the most benign. Other times she came close to killing me. What a beautiful sentence, I must write that down in my book. I adored her, of course. It was a lovely, sunny day.
1: Wow, beautifully read, Emily. Thank you very much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Poetry Society podcast. To find out more about the Poetry Society and how you can become involved, visit poetrysociety.org.uk.